Episode 323, March 8th, 2018. You're listening to a 4x4 Radio Network Podcast. Are you ready? It's the G-Talk Show with G-Mama, Josh, and Tony. So sit back, strap in, and brace yourself. Well, Tony, Tammy, did you guys miss me? No. Wait a minute. Who is this again? Josh? You were gone? <laughs> Are you sure it was you and not Tammy? I mean, Tammy, were you here last oh, week? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're always gone. You know, I always, yeah, I always leave the human resources stuff for you guys, you know. Didn't you get my memo? Yeah, I might have forgotten to write that one down, guys. So my bad. But uh, hey, speaking of writing stuff down, our guest tonight on this week's show is a writer for the world famous Jalopnik.com. And coming up later in the show, we've got David Tracy, Jeep owner, writer, and just an all around great guy. Local Jeep news, national Jeep news, and news from around the world. It's This Week in Jeep. And This Week in Jeep is brought to you by Amazon.com. Looking for a way to support the show? Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash Amazon and a small fraction from anything you purchase. Using that link will go towards the Jeep Talk Show. If you like what you hear and you've gotten any benefit from what we do here, well, please consider giving back. That's jeeptalkshow.com slash Amazon. Thanks in advance. Hey, and speaking of Amazon, last week, Tony made a big announcement about the Jeep Talk Show and Amazon Echo. Now, we were selected to be one of the very first podcasts on Libsyn to be available on their new Amazon Echo skill. That's right. That little talking black cylinder on your counter has got skills. <laughs> now, if you're an Echo owner, you will soon be able to listen to full episodes of the Jeep Talk Show on any of your Amazon Echoes or Amazon Echo-enabled devices. In the next couple of weeks, you'll be able to say, Alexa, Tell Jeep Talk Show to play the latest episode, and we'll be providing more information on this exciting, exclusive feature in future episodes, so keep listening. And to make sure you never miss anything, well, subscribe. Oh, and if you want to hear the Jeep Talk Show news on your Echo, well, you can do that right now. Just say, Alexa, enable Jeep Talk Show news. This will add This Week in Jeep to your flash briefing. Now, when you say, Alexa, news, when you're getting ready for work, you'll get the best Jeep news from us, the Jeep Talk Show. Well, it's called price shock. It happens to most of us when we find out just exactly how much that new shiny we want is really going to cost us. And in true supply and demand fashion, the new shiny Jeep that most of us really want just got a little bit more expensive. It was reported this week that the 2018 Wrangler JL shipping from the automaker's Toledo, Ohio assembly plant now costs $750 more than they did just a few weeks ago. That brings the entry price to $28,940. Notably, Jeep sells two vehicles as the 2018 Wrangler as a carryover design, badged Wrangler JK that's now out of production, and a redesigned model known to all of us enthusiasts as the Wrangler JL. The price hike applies only to the new model, though, the Wrangler JL. Technically, the price hike comes in two forms, a $500 increase in base prices across the board for every trim level from Sport to Rubicon to Sahara, and a $250 increase in the mandatory destination charge. Now, the destination charge, which covers delivery of the vehicle to a Jeep dealer, is now a massive $1,445. In what world does it cost that much to ship a Jeep, 
especially when a dealer, a dealer is buying them by the dozens. So just in case any of you were keeping track, this means that a Wrangler Sport two-door optioned up with an automatic transmission and air conditioning is now a hefty 32235 I go for the long wheelbase Wrangler Unlimited Sport S and it add popular options like a hardtop, 7-inch touchscreen for infotainment with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto capabilities, heated seats and automatic transmission. Well, you're going to see a sticker price of well over $40,000 for a Jeep. The price hike takes only some of the luster out of Jeep's strong year so far. Last month, the division sold more than 70,000 new vehicles, making it Jeep's strongest February ever. Now, this borderline price gouging, however, is likely going to see some unit drops for March sales numbers, but profit increases for the quarter. And now we start to see some of the motivation behind the price change. Why FCA is charging so much for vehicle delivery to its own dealers is beyond me. But clearly, the world got out about the word got out about how much people are loving this new Wrangler. And the powers that be decided they needed to capitalize on that a little bit more than they already are. I got to tell you, you know, I, I got a Cherokee. I've had it for 20 years now. Uh, I'm not looking at buying a new Jeep, but everything that I had seen, the, I was seeing prices of $46,000 for one of these new Wrangler JLs. So the most shocking thing to, to me here is that you can actually get a JL for $28,000 or, or $29,000 if you round it up. So I'm pretty enthused just to see that. Yeah, the, the Jeeps that we're seeing in the commercials and in all the ads and those really nice looking outdoor uh, photo shoots that they were doing back when they first launched this are all just extremely trimmed out. I mean, they got yeah. every last little option they can. And so that's what they want you to go out and buy. And so that's where you start seeing these prices. I mean, you start adding things in like, you know, power steering, air conditioning, the things that we all take for granted in modern vehicles. And it just racks the price up. But it's really that that underlying almost $1,500 for a oh, dealer ridiculous. to just acquire one of these is just, I mean, it, it boggles my mind. I don't, I don't get it. Um, it. It sounds like it's going to cost us $200. Let's, uh, let's raise that by three. Nah, let's make it six times more than what it's going to cost us. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, it just, this does make sense. Tammy, whenever you got your uh, 2015 uh, JKU, did you look at the line items in there? Did, did, you, did you, did you remember anything shocking when you were looking at the, at the thing? Did you even look at the, the sticker price? <laughs> I, I want no, that actually, one. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. Um, Just I did walked in there with a the briefcase full of cash. Yeah. <laughs> Don't um, mind that powder. It's such, safe. I got such a great trade in on my Sahara. It, you know, it's kind mm. of a, you know, I'm paying a little more per month. But I didn't really look at the line items until after the fact because, mm -hmm. you know, I wanted that Jeep. Um, I love that. But the thing that shocked me was the um, the radio, the... Infotainment thing? Yeah. I'm like, $1,500 for that. And I'm like, I don't even listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. You know? So I just, I mean, I use my phone. You know, I listen to my music through my phone, but I don't use any of that stuff. I don't use... The little map, the GPS. Oh, I'm surprised you don't stuff. use the GPS. I bought I actually bought a GPS to go on mine, and uh, I like using. Well, I that. use the stuff on my. I use it on my phone. I use my phone. It's just you know. Hmm. So it's easier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm not into all that technology stuff, and I actually prefer paper maps myself. But so, so oh, old school. So whatever. Yeah. So when it, what you're saying is, is that uh, your infotainment system, your fifteen hundred dollar infotainment system, uh, you you don't use it, but but you do use it to listen to podcasts and and the Jeep Talk Show, right? Oh yeah, of course. Okay, yeah. I was I thought that was the case. The only time it gets powered up every week. <laughs> right. 
Well, you don't have to be a bodybuilder, a sports fan, or even a jeeper to appreciate this story. Although the name might not ring bells to most of you, the team that this athlete plays for might. New Orleans Saints running back Alvin Kamara isn't slowing down during the NFL offseason. As most players focus on healing injuries, reconditioning, and rebuilding, many players opt to bulk up, add strength and endurance, and hit the gym. This one player, however, is taking that to the extreme. He is dragging Jeeps around during his workouts. I'm not over-exaggerating here. The 2018 NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year posted a video Wednesday showing off his latest training regimen during his offseason in Louisiana. And frankly, my knees and back are hurting just watching this guy. (laughs) Now, Alvin Kamara, who at 22 years old can get away with stuff like this at that age, held on top of his shoulders a full-on steel squatting rack with at least 100 pounds of free weights on it while wearing a strap around his waist. The strap was hooked up to a long rope, which was fastened to the back of a four-door Jeep Wrangler. Kamara got into a squat walk position and briskly paced forward like he was doing no more than carrying groceries up the driveway for like two blocks uphill. (laughs) Now, if there's anyone to watch this fall when football starts back up, it's going to be this guy. In the snow. Hey, I wonder if we could, um, (laughs) I'm going to hire him for my, instead of a winch, I'm just going to hire him. (laughs) Seriously, this guy has got some poles. I mean, just, the, uh, the, the best top-of-the-line Warren Winch is going to be 10,000 times cheaper than what it would cost I, to hire him. Oh, <laughs> no, but, but Warren's probably going to name their next winch after this guy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, really, the Kamara. Yeah, right? Uh, no, the video's, the video's gone viral, guys. It's gotten like 100,000 likes or reshares or something on Twitter. Uh, it's all over Facebook. It's on YouTube. I mean, th- this video is definitely going viral. So if you haven't seen it yet, just type in, you know, Alvin Kamara Jeep into Google, and you're definitely going to see this video. It'll blow you away. That sounds really interesting. I hadn't seen anything about that. That's uh, that's good news item there. That's interesting. Well, hey, guys, in the meantime, if you have a news tip or you have a response to any one of our stories, be sure to let us know. Send us an email to info at jeeptalkshow.com or head over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact, and you can find out all the ways to get a hold of us. Oh, I found this interesting the other day. You know how I like to cruise around the social media. I was on uh, Facebook, and uh, I saw somebody posting uh, about being on a uh, some a friend, a new friend of mine in, in Facebook, uh, posting how they were going to be on a morning news show. So... I, uh, I didn't read anything that was written there other than the, that she was going to be on a, a news show, a morning news show. And I said, hey, could you mention the Jeep talk show while you're on there? <laughs> and, you know, ah, shameless plug. Just, yes, just shameless plug. And, uh, <laughs> and she was like, yeah, sure. She was really nice about it and, uh, you know, got, got a chuckle. And come to find out, uh, she's now a new friend of the show. This is a, there's, there's a show that she's going to be on. Um, I'm speaking of uh, uh, Teresa Loomis. Uh, it's a new show on the History Channel. Yeah, History Channel. I think Channel. it's on tonight. It is. And uh, the show's name is Truck Night in America. Uh, it premieres tonight. And uh, Teresa, I'm, I'm mentioning this uh, mainly because Teresa's a big Jeep lover. She either has three or four Jeeps, and she just drives the hell out of them. Uh, and uh, <laughs> she's, uh, but you have to watch for her uh, in the uh, episode tonight. Now, she wasn't sure if she was actually going to be in this episode or not because she's getting conflicting information. But uh, uh, look for her. Uh, she's going to be driving a big orange Scout uh, in the show. And uh, there are Jeeps in the show, too. But it's basically, it looks like to I me it's a... I was about to say. Yeah, it looks like to me it's, a, it's one of those reality shows where they, you know, they give people things to do and they progress on and stuff. So anyway, I'm recording it uh, because it's, uh, it's on now. 
at the time of us recording this uh, this episode. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. I'm sure hoping Teresa's on that episode. Uh, if you if you get a chance, look at the uh, the little clip that uh, they the History Channel released where uh, you see uh, Teresa getting some big air, and all the guys in their Ooh. modified vehicles looking up at her as she uh, flies through the air. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. You're listening to a four x four radio network podcast. Yeah, sorry, I jumped ahead. You got take a pause and then do the coming up. Oh, it wasn't. Yeah, I know, Tammy. That's my bad. Coming up in Tech Talk, we're going to cover what you need to know when replacing your front wheel bearings. Ooh. You're listening to a 4x4 Radio Network podcast. You most certainly are. And the Jeep Talk Show is just one of the many proud members of the 4x4 Radio Network. Just visit 4x4radionetwork.com. Learn more about the 4x4 podcast, Center Steer podcast, Trail Tracers podcast, Oh, and our newest member on the Trail Podcast. It's all there, all in one place, guys, and it's all free. Shut up and listen. Shut up. So shut up. You don't shut up. Shut up, Shane. Hey. Shut up and listen. It's time for Wrangler Talk. It's time for G-Mama. So this past weekend, I was going to work on my rust prevention or my rust fix of because I have rust all over my Jeep. Um, but then I realized we're getting all these big snowstorms, so I decided to nix that since we're going to have more salt. And so I was getting ready to go into the back of my Jeep just to kind of clean it up, and I went to open the rear swing gate, and I could not move it. It would not budge. It had seized up. So I'm like, oh, Lord, it's time. i got to get this thing off. And so I had my son come up, and he had to help me push it open so I could get in the back of my Jeep. And so then I thought, you know, I better work on this. So what I did is, is my rear swing gate or my rear s- swing arm, the spare tire arm, is attached to a post which is attached to my bumper. So and it can come off. And what you're supposed to do is when you first you know, put this on, you're supposed to put lubricant on it or grease or whatever. And you really should do this, you know, periodically, which I hadn't been doing. So it just seized up and got stuck. So what I did is somebody suggested uh, that I use PB blaster. So I took the cap off. There's an Allen head um, bolt in there. So I took that off. And by the way, I didn't have, it was kind of stripped out. And so I went on YouTube and it said to use a Torque, Torx Allen head wrench and it would work in it and it did. Anyway, that was a little cool trick that I learned. So I took that off and I just sprayed it with PB Blaster and I had my husband come out to try to lift this thing off and it wouldn't budge. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Um, so I texted Jeff from a gen- Adrenaline Off-Road and he said, get a... Um, dead blow hammer and I'm like what the heck is a dead blow hammer (laughs) well I have one I didn't know it was called a dead blow hammer so anyway I took um, the hammer and I just banged on the point of um, where these two parts come together I tried pushing the swing gate back and forth I sprayed some more PB blaster and actually if you read the PB blaster can it's pretty hysterical what it says Um, I think Josh wrote that uh, on there by the way yeah. yeah, it is. It is. It's pretty funny. Um, it says, hey, shake the can. 
Um, <laughs> completely saturate the troubled area. Don't hold back. If you think it's not enough, go ahead and give it another spray. <laughs> Let it sit for a few minutes. Tap lightly and respray to hasten result. So I must have sprayed it 20, 30 times. I must have banged on it with that dead blow hammer 50 times. And we still, we couldn't lift it off. Um, and so my husband said, you know, we really need like a steel bar to lift it off. Because if you lift it, you're going to bind it up. You need to like get it lifted straight up. Right. So we called a friend, Henry, and he couldn't make it over that day. But he said, hey, I have this pry bar. Um, I'll come over and bring it. So the next morning, he put that pry bar. It's a five foot long pry bar. It's the longest, biggest thing. I'm like, oh my God, I want one of those. So anyway, he put it under there and just like kind of lifted it with one little finger and it came right up. It's like butter. Yeah. But I don't know if it was the pry bar or just it had been sitting in like gallons of PB blaster. I bet you it helped. (laughs) So and me banging it. By the way, I I banged it with, um, I put a cloth. I didn't want to you know, ruin the paint. So um, anyway, it came off. I greased it up, put it back on. It swings easy, easy peasy. Um, so just something that I wish I would have known that that's something you need to do often is grease this pivot point. Um, but I do mm-hmm. now. And so to help with my preventive maintenance for the next time, I went and bought myself the Dominator 58 <laughs> because you never know when you're going to need to use a five-foot pry bar. <laughs> Absolutely. Plus, it came with a three-piece, you know, different like a one-foot and stuff. And there are these curved screwdriver pry bars. And we're going to have a link in the show notes. Um, you can buy it on Amazon. It was an awesome deal. I even got a free, it's a Mayhew, um, a free Mayhew t-shirt. But obviously the folks there don't realize that women might be buying this stuff. Um, the t-shirt was an extra large. So my husband got oh. a free t-shirt out of the deal. That's a great thing um, to sleep in, Tammy. Yeah, well, that's just too, I, I would get all bound up in it, but... Anyway, um, I'm excited because I have new tools. I'm excited because my swing gate or my tire carrier swings. And um, I learned a couple cool tricks that I didn't know about. And I learned the names of some tools. Yeah. And you also uh, learned you had a uh, dead blow hammer. Yes. And I didn't even realize that's what it was. I just thought it was called a mallet. Great name so. for a uh, 70s uh, rock group, too. Uh, yeah, so the quick question. Did you take the spare tire off before trying to lift up the, the, the whole mechanism? Yes, I did, okay, Tony. Good. You didn't yes. mention that, so I was thinking. Oh, yeah. Because that's something I would do. Because I, I, I look at it like it's going to take me an extra two minutes to take that off. I can save myself some time, but just by lifting everything. <laughs> right. But the, another thing that I did learn, too, is because I took the spare tire off myself. I'm like, I don't think I could lift it back up. Yeah. On There's no way I could. So if I ever do have to change my tire and it's me by myself, that spare tire, I'm going to have to put in the back seat of my Jeep. Yeah, uh, that's. Oh. Uh, I mean, uh, you've you've probably seen those uh, those swing down uh, tire carriers, haven't you? No, I. I yeah, they kind of uh, you kind of it's kind of a cradle mechanism, uh, and it has uh, hinges uh, on either side of the bumper, so it just it swings down, 
and then you can take the tire off because it's close to the ground and then you can get the tire back on. You may still have problems getting it swung back up, but uh, there's there's always things that uh, that you could do. I'm surprised you didn't bust right. out the high lift jack to try to get that uh, that arm off of there. We actually did and you it still binds it up. You need to get your leverage right. as close to that post as you can otherwise you're you're pushing more up. Yeah, you're angling it. Um, I got you. So, angling, yeah, instead of straight up. So there's no grease fitting or anything on there? You literally have to remove it to, before to, to grease it? Yes. And I didn't realize people were saying, oh, you should, you could modify that and put your own grease fitting that's what on I was there. Just, that's what I was thinking. I was going to say, yeah, yeah a lot, a lot, I've seen a lot of those come with a little grease zerk on the, on the side right. or the back of them that you could just get a grease gun on it and then just, you know, like you would anything else. Yeah. Right. And I didn't realize you could do that and somebody... Um, actually, on Google Plus, said you could just get your own Zert fitting and drill a hole, put it in there, and just use the grease gun to do it. And I'm like, well, oh. it's a little bit more entailed than just drilling a hole. I mean, I've heard some people get away with just drilling a hole and 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 kind of trying to get that to self tap in there, but you really, really you need to drill it, and you? tap a hole. Yeah, yeah you got it. You got yeah, it. Actually, that hole, he so. did say. He did say thread it too. I forgot. Yeah, because oh, okay. yeah, it's gonna Very come. Good. It's gonna come off, and it's gonna get dry, and it's just gonna cause more trouble. You, you, right. you you're not gonna get a lot of threads on that uh, the relatively thin metal of uh, of the cylinder. But it, you, if you can just get two or three in there, that should be enough to hold it on. I mean, the the little Zerk fitting isn't this uh, you know huge heavy thing that's uh, uh, gonna, yeah. gonna 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 come off. But you do need to uh, think long and hard about where you're gonna place it and make sure it's not gonna get in the right. way and knocked off or broken off. I mean, broken off is the worst part, trying to get the little piece that's left in there out. Well, I think I'll wait at least one more greasing because I want to use my pry bar. How long do you think you're going to go before you uh, check it again? Um, I'll probably do it this fall. I was going to say, you know, two I'm, or three times a year, maybe once a season, yeah. uh, every few months or so, it's, it'd probably yeah. be all right. Do you think that it had anything to do with the salt uh, that was causing the issue? Personally, I do because... It was horrible this year. And you know those new um, control arm skid plates that I just put on? They mm -hmm. already are just rusted. The rusted well, color, the oxide, it, it's just... Don't use even, them. Don't, don't drag them over rocks, Tammy. You won't have that problem. <laughs> um, but no, it's not even where I... Oh, really? The rocks. It's, yeah, I'll have to take a picture and I'll post it on. It's just the oxidation... Is that what you would call it? Yeah. The rust, yeah. The rust yeah. on it. So that, I thought it's, that it wasn't painted when you got it? No. Well, well, they weren't no. painted, but then we painted them. Oh, I'm surprised that, uh, that yeah. it's rusted up. Well, yeah, I, I don't live in salt in a, in a salt area, so yeah. I, I may not have any. Uh, I've always been here in, the, in southeast Texas, and there's never been salt on the roads that I'm aware of. So unless I went down to Galveston a lot, I wouldn't know anything about uh, salt damage. Yeah, I'll, I'll post a picture on my Facebook page. Oh, post it on the Jeep Talk Show. We'd like to see it on uh, JeepTalkShow.com oh, yep, as well. I'll put it on there too. And hey, folks, coming up later in the show, oh, somebody you always are, you never know what's going to come out of his mouth, and we always look forward to him, and that's Nikki G. Hey, guys. Super Croc here. I think last time I talked about the XJ, Hey, it wouldn't start, wouldn't crank. Well, got half of it done. Uh, found out why it wouldn't crank. Bad starter. Changed starter. Started for a little bit, and then wouldn't start no more. 
So I went down the road of diagnostics I told you about last time. Yeah, I talked about that, yeah. And so found out as having leaky valve issues or something like that. So now I've got the head off, took it to the machine shop, left it on Wednesday, two weeks ago-ish on Wednesday, said might hear back from on Friday, but probably Monday. So next Monday, get a call. They said they they uh, magnet checked it and it turned out good, but I had a couple of stuck valves, and they'd take care of that and probably be out the door under a couple hundred bucks. So he's glad. And then a few hours later, they call back. Yeah, it failed the vacuum test. You have cracked something in it. So it can't be. So I get to to look for a new head. Now I talk to them. They should be able to get a good deal on that. But at least I found out why it wasn't starting, right? All right. Have fun. Bye. (laughs) This this XJ thing is going a long time. A long, long time. It's been a long time since we heard from Super Croc. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say, wow. Blast from the past. yeah, gotten lost uh, in, in doing all that engine work. Well, I, I just knew he was going to say, "What do you do when you when you have a bad head and you're going fi- to they're finding you another one? You buy another Jeep <laughs> and see what luck you have with it." <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, yeah, two hundred bucks for you know some reman head work that that's he, he was going to be getting a heck of a deal, really yeah, though. Yeah, well, uh, with the price that you had to pay for yours, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, we got a review and on our Facebook, it was uh, short and sweet, which is perfectly fine. Uh, it was uh, from Hal H, and he simply gave us five stars uh, with an exclamation mark. So we really appreciate that. You know, I thought I'd mention here real quick. Um, I know it sounds like bragging, but really, I'm just so impressed that you guys take the time to give us reviews. We have 129 iTunes reviews. The majority, yeah, the majority of them are uh, five out of five stars. We get a couple of, uh, Yay. Uh, what do you call them, outliers uh, that you just, you know, no, yeah. th- those don't count. <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, you should rate it uh, anything you like, which would be the five stars. And uh, we have, uh, we last week, uh, or week, week before last, we had 69 Facebook reviews. And Tammy, you'll be happy to know with this, with this review that we just mentioned tonight, we now have 70. So I know you'd feel better about that. Uh, yeah, and I had to read. We had sixty nine last week too. That wasn't fair. <laughs> so that's a lot of reviews, people. We really appreciate it and uh, keep it up because we love seeing them. You got tech questions? Ah, oh, what do I ever? We have answers. Oh, that's good because I can. It's tech talk with Jeep talk. Now I want to give listener Ryan S a shout out for sending in this question, and he writes in. I've been trying to remove the stub shafts from my Dana 30 unit bearing with no luck. What's the trick to getting these things out? Well, unless your Jeep came from or lives in Arizona or Southern California or parts of the South where it hardly ever rains and rarely ever snows, well, your Jeep is likely going to have a little bit of rust here and there. Now, sure, I'm sure the body is fine. The floorboards are all intact, rust-free and all that. But those components under the Jeep have faced tens, if not hundreds of thousands of miles of dust, grime, grit, and God knows what else picked up from the road over the years. 
Now, even if the Jeep has never seen snow, salt, or deep water crossings, the components under a Jeep can still freeze up with oxidation and surface rust. And wheel bearings are no exception. When it's time to replace those front wheel bearings, known as unit bearings or a broken stub shaft, separating the bearing from the knuckle or the shaft from the bearing can be a real chore. The problem is compounded by the fact that in order to prevent vibration, the unit bearing and the stub shaft are mated with a rather tight press fit. Throw in years of rust and corrosion and you, know, you, be better, you bet, better be prepared for a fight when trying to dismantle some of these assemblies. Now, your best method is going to involve a lot of time, patience, and some penetrating loop. There are a lot of good ones out there, too, but you'll have to get a bit more serious than some WD-40. I personally have had excellent results using PB Blaster, or even Croil, that's spelled with a K. But I hear there are other brands out there that also work great, so I might just need to do a little bit of research. Now, patience is going to be the number one virtue here, as this may turn into a weekend project or more. You'll want to soak the nut in the shaft splines before starting. You may need to go as long as a week, reapplying the lube once or twice per day. I'm not kidding either. Regardless of how strong the penetrating oil claims to be, it needs time to work. And depending on the level of rust, oxidation buildup, or other factors, repetition is crucial here and it will pay off in the end, even if it takes several days. Now, if the nut hasn't completely rusted away, an impact gun will be your best bet for freeing the nut. Otherwise, go for a long breaker bar and give it hell. Now, I've had to use a breaker bar with the handle of my floor jack and two grown-ass men bouncing on it to get some of these <laughs> things to break loose. I'm serious here. Don't think that that 3.8 socket wrench is going to cut it. Now, if the edges of the nut have been rusted away or been rounded off, well, you could try a pair of channel locks or even some vice grip pliers, but really don't hold out hope for either of those working unless you've got the grip strength of the Incredible Hulk. Now, chances are you'll be carefully MIG or TIG welding a nut onto the stripped or rounded one in order to get that off. And once you do get the nut off, well, either use an air hammer with a blunt bit to free the stub shaft from the unit bearing or... Thread the, sh the shaft nut back on a few turns to protect the stub shaft threads and whack away with a heavy dead blow hammer. Resist the urge to use a steel sledge, though, as it will likely result in serious shaft, bearing, or hub damage. And don't break out the torch, guys. Aside from the fact that all penetrating lube will go up like a Roman candle, you'll probably waste the bearing's grease and seals, and if all you're doing is replacing a broken shaft, well, the bearing is when the bearing is still good, you've just smoked a $100 part. Well, now once you've got the wheel nut off and you're, you're not quite done yet, it's not all uncommon for the unit bearing to rust into the knuckle to the point of where virtually nothing seems to get it loose. Over the years, I've heard and read some rather interesting stories describing the lengths that some people have gone to for getting these things out of the knuckle. Well, let me save you all the grief and give you this surefire trick for removing a stubborn unit bearing. Note, the axle nut and all three of the 13 12-point bolts that hold the bearing into the knuckle must all be completely removed before proceeding. Otherwise, some serious damage is going to occur. Now, using a grade 8 bolt or a socket extension that's about 3 to 4 inches long, place it inside the knuckle between the back of the knuckle just to the side of the axle shaft opening and wedge it into a position where it makes contact with one of the stub shaft U-joint yoke ears. That needs to be held in place, so either hold it there or position the steering in a way that this can be done uh, with it, you know, just kind of resting there. Now, once, once the bolt or extension is in place, you're going to need to turn the steering wheel a small bit. The steering system can put forces on that bearing enough to push the yoke here on the outer stub shaft and cause it to push outwards on the unit bearing, basically pushing that thing right on out. You're basically using the steering system as a press. Release the pressure on the steering wheel, relocate the bolt or extension to the other yoke gear, and turn the steering wheel a little bit the other direction. Repeat this process, swapping sides as you go back and forth until the unit bearing is broken free and you can remove it from the knuckle. If needed, you can do this with the engine running, gaining the power addition of the power steering. Now you're going to be really putting some juice to that thing. 
Now, here's one more little tip for you. If there is any rust on the mating surface of the knuckle, wire brush it off. Clean the knuckle up too, maybe even give it a fresh coat of paint. When you reassemble the two pieces, use some anti-seize compound to prevent another rusty episode. Even if there isn't any rust yet, use anti-seize when you put the two pieces back together. It's cheap insurance for the next time that you need to work on your front end. Yeah, you know the next time you're going to have to work on it is out on the trail. So <laughs> the anti-seize will be well appreciated by everybody that's helping you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, now there, there are some pictures and some videos and stuff out there of people using this exact same trick to get that unit bearing out of the knuckle. And, and this is going to work on pretty much anything with a unit bearing. Um, and so this can apply to multiple vehicles across the across the road. But uh, this definitely works on Dana 30s, guys. If you replacing a Dana 30 wheel, uh, unit bearing, which if you've got a lifted Jeep, chances are you have already done that once, or you're going to be need to be doing it doing it soon. So this is a great tip and a great trick to get those out and make your job a lot easier. Yeah, I like that uh, that bolt idea. Uh, I've never had any problems getting mine off, but then again, I'm in the area that I'm in, so I, I really hadn't had a problem with that. Uh, I'm very lucky in a lot of, lot of respects uh, with uh, with things not uh, not rusting up on me. Uh, but I love that bolt idea because that's exactly what the uh, you know what you can do. You can make use of uh, what is it that I was trying to think of? I think it's the uh, you can actually do that same type of trick, like when you're trying to get the lower control arms lined up or the upper control arms lined up. You can move your steering back and forth, and it will move those control arms uh, where you can get the, the bolt through it. So there's, there's several things that you that you can do by making use of the mechanics of the Jeep itself to help you yeah. get the job done. So that's not just the only one. So keep that in mind whenever you're you're in a situation going, oh my God, I just need to do this one last thing and I'm free. I can go in, have a beer and watch football. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, do you guys have anything to add? Maybe you have a question for Tech Talk. Well, just jump over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact. Send us a message. We'll get it and we'll definitely add your question into the show. You're listening to Jeep Talk Show, the number one Jeep podcast. At my mom's house. Hey, Jeep Talk Show. It's Juliet Johnny. Got a confusing problem with my diesel Liberty. So I broke the uh, idler pulley, was shredded the belt, limped it home last night. And today I took the belt off, figured out the pulley was destroyed. Then it started to rain, so I wanted to pull the car in the garage. Obviously, with no power steering, was was a lot of fun. Very heavy car. But uh, I noticed the battery light doesn't come on, and the alternator's not spinning. I, I don't get that. I've, I've never seen that before. Um, the bulb is good, because when I click the key over, the light does illuminate. But then you start the car, and it goes out. So I just wonder if... Any of you had ever seen anything like that? It's very strange to me. Right. I found yeah, that strange is, as well. Well, it, this is kind of, I mean, it, it all really depends on, on the vehicle. I know on some of the CAN systems, this likely isn't going to be something that you're going to see, but on, on some of the, uh, the older liberties and stuff like that, you're, you're going to find pretty much a, a lot of, a lot of older vehicles. You're going to find this. Really, your your battery is a gigantic buffer, and it holds all that voltage. And and even though you're technically in, in this instance not really running your alternator, you still have plenty of juice in that battery to run the system. Now that's not going to last forever. You certainly can't drive around a whole lot. But just you know, limping home from work, 
uh, pulling the Jeep up the driveway a little bit further into the garage, whatever, um, that alternator doesn't need to be there or even working in order for that to happen. You can still start the Jeep. You can still run all the accessories and all that. But just like with any battery, it has a lifespan and it has a certain amount of voltage that it can put out. And after a while, those ampers, those, those, uh, those volts are, it's going to drop down and you're going to basically run the battery dry. Um, and so your, your OBD2 system, the, the onboard diagnostic system of the vehicle is just sending an information through, uh, sending a signal through the alternator. It goes into the alternator and back out. It's okay. The alternator's there. It's passing the voltage through the alternator. Even though the alternator is not running, you still have a high enough system voltage because of what's in the battery to not trip any of the sensors or the, uh, the, you know, check engine light or something like that. So there may be a code stored and it's just a sub code in the system. Um, likely it's, if you haven't seen any dash lights on or anything like that, the lights working, you got the alternator in there. You didn't let the voltage go down too low, all that. It might not be there, but might be a good idea to head out to the shop, um, have somebody get a code reader on there and just take a look through the system to see if there's any stored codes, uh, that are in there that you might want to clear out. I don't know. Uh, you know, in, in years past, uh, before OBD2 and probably even before OBD, OBD, OBD1, um, if you lost your belt or at least lost the belt, cause you know, you used to have multiple belts on the older engines. If mm -hmm. you lost the belt going to the alternator, alternator, that light came on. It might be an alternator light. It might be a battery light. It had something to do with your electrical system. So I understand completely what he's saying. I don't know how it works now. I don't know if it monitors, uh, the voltage and if it drops below, uh, 13.8 or, you know, somewhere closer to the 12, if it comes on or what, but I certainly would have expected it to come on. In, in fact, I figured, because I hadn't listened to this in a while, I figured that it, the bulb was out or, <laughs> that, or there was something mm -hmm. with the sensor. So this is this is really interesting to hear. I don't know what it would be. I was very confused by this, and uh, I was in the exact same spot he was. From around the world. Or from your city. And sometimes just down the street. Howdy, neighbor. It's the Jeep Talk Show interview. Well, in true Jeep Talk Show tradition, guys, we've got another great interview for you guys this week. And we've got David Tracy from the world-famous Jalopnik here. He is a Jeep owner, Jeep enthusiast, former Jeep worker, and, of course, now a writer for one of, well, the world's most popular automotive sites in, in the galaxy. Let's go there. <laughs> so, anyways, David, thanks for joining us tonight, man. We've got a whole bunch of stories to cover, some history to go over, all kinds of stuff to talk about. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I can talk all day about Jeep, so, you know, I'm excited. Well, you're in good company then because uh, we like to do the same thing. And uh, let, let's go back into history a little bit and talk about some of the Jeeps that you've owned and, and what got you on the Jeep path to begin with. All right. Yeah, so my first Jeep, actually the, the vehicle I learned to drive on was a 98 ZJ Laredo, a fairly basic ZJ, uh, you know, uh, four liter, um, you know, quadratrack full-time four-wheel drive system, which wasn't mm -hmm. particularly great. Um, <laughs> but at the time, I was living in Leavenworth, Kansas, because my dad was stationed there on, on the base. And, um, you know, you might be surprised to hear that in Kansas, there's not always a whole lot to do. Uh, and and I, have, I had five brothers, um, and we took that Jeep, and we beat the crap out of it. My second experience off-roading, first, my first experience ever off-roading was with my dad um, in his Humvee. He, 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 he did this take your kids to work day 
thing back in must have been 2002, and it was in Hohenfels, Germany, uh, on this in this old uh, uh, training ground. And he took my brothers and me in his Humvee, uh, and he, you know, he. My but the thing I remember most was taking that. They have these heater tubes. You know, instead of just heater vents, there's a tube. You just shove it under your shirt, and you know. So we just passed that around, and and then um, then I remember my dad got stuck in a three foot uh, uh, puddle, and he flooded the interior of the Humvee. Had to get towed <laughs> out by another soldier. So that was my very first experience. And then by the time we got the ZJ in Kansas, I mean, we were off to the races. So you got you have if, uh, amongst five brothers here, I, and all of you are sharing this one Jeep. <laughs> Yeah, in high school, yeah, we were we were all sharing. I mean, uh, it was initially, it was originally my dad's Jeep. You know, whenever when we moved back to the states from Germany, my dad bought this. Yeah, '98 ZJ. It was only five years old at the time, and uh, he he drove it for a few few years, and then then yeah, we uh, he eventually bought something boring, a Saturn View, and gave us the Jeep. Yeah, there were five, five brothers. Actually, to be honest. There's a bit of a stretch uh, between the oldest and the youngest. So by the time it got to the youngest brother, it was just destroyed. I mean, that poor kid was stuck on the shoulder of the road for most of his high school days. It was pretty oh, bad. Boy. Like hand-me-down underwear. <laughs> pretty much. And it wasn't really the fault of the Jeep. I mean, it was just a bunch of young kids who we just got mud everywhere. I mean, the, the differentials were filled with mud. I mean... We didn't wrench at the time. I, I didn't learn to wrench until, until I went to college and bought my, my first personal car, which is a 92 Cherokee. Um, that thing had 220,000 miles when I first bought it um, in 2010. And I remember being really worried about that. You know, it was 1400 bucks. I, had, I, I purchased it from a pair of country folks. One guy was actually was a pizza delivery vehicle. Four, <laughs> and the driver was a heavy set man. Oh boy! And you can tell when you sit in my Jeep because those early XJs, they they were the, the seats were small. They didn't have very much support, and yeah. you could easily break the supports. So yep. my, I leaned. You know, my my seat leans to the left because of the uh, the heavy uh, previous owner. So well, I can't tell you how many how many older Cherokees I've seen with that with that broken seat back. You got that gangster lean going on, yeah. and he's, he's like, I'm, "I don't even <laughs> want to drive like this, but I have to." And so, but that wasn't your first older model Cherokee. Had, from you know, word on the street is that you kind of are a bit of an older Cherokee fan. Is that right? Love XJs. I you know I think if you were to ask me what is my favorite Jeep, you know of all time, it would be the XJ. It, it, just because. You know, between 91 and 01, if you bought an XJ, it was going to be reliable. I mean, there were a couple of tiny exceptions like cylinder heads in 01. And if you got the, you know, really, that's that's the only real flaw. If you got the four cylinder, you know, that's not a good call either. But yeah. in general, <laughs> 99% of, of Jeeps built between 91 and 01, that's a long span. It's 11 mile years. We're rock solid. Yeah, Just they really are. Rock yeah. solid. Didn't matter if you got AX15 uh, a manual, the AW4 automatic, NV3550. It didn't matter, and it, 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 it was just that's what I like about it most. And the axles were, you know, the Dana 35 wasn't the best, but 
you know, if you were daily driving these XJs and even doing moderate, moderate off-roads, off-roading, you pretty much couldn't kill them. That's what I love about them. And they're also practical. You can fit so much stuff, and they're tiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, Josh... Josh used if to do I some start listing the things I love about XJs will be here all day, but yeah, Josh actually <laughs> used to do some uh, DJ work and he really loved the uh, cargo capacity of the, uh, of his XJ, his 99 XJ to be able to load up all that crap and take it out uh, to do the, uh, the DJ on site stuff. Now, speaking of, uh, of XJs and your love for them, uh, one of the reasons that uh, I uh, ran across you was your Jalopnik article about a free XJ that you uh, drove some 500 miles to, uh, to pick up. And uh, <laughs> it sounds like you had uh, quite the adventure uh, on, on that. Oh, yeah. Um, this, this kid named Matt, he had emailed me you know, a while ago saying having some issues with his Jeep, and he'd sell it to me for cheap. At the time, well, and still today, I, I had way too many projects. And so I you know, gave him some advice on things he could look at, you know, issues that it, that, that it might be. You know, fast forward... Uh, you know, a couple of months and he's like, okay, dude, I can't fix it. Uh, <laughs> I'll give it to you for free. You can have it for free. Wow. I asked him, wow. does it turn? So, so I, so I asked him, you know, does it turn over? Um, you know, is there a hole in the block? You know, he said, yeah, you know, it turns over, just makes this terrible noise, but it's not like a knocking noise. I'm like, <laughs> oh, you know what? I know that's horrible. <laughs> I was like, you know that sounds fine to me. I mean, as, as a general rule, with a four-liter engine, you know, if there's not a rod through the block mm-hmm. or there's not a whole bunch of smoke coming out of your tailpipe and you haven't been running with coolant in your oil, you could probably fix it. You know, just, you've probably got enough to fix. So, I drove down there. Um, it was 250 miles, I think, one way down to Columbus from, De- from this Detroit area. And, uh, yeah, it was just this young kid. This was his first car he ever bought, and he loved it. Um, but he wasn't really that uh, – um, didn't have a lot of wrenching uh, uh, background. And um, I'm not exactly sure what I was thinking because I didn't go down with the trailer. I just drove down there. Like, oh, I wow. figured, you know what, I'll, I'll you, fix it. Oh, you were optimistic. <laughs> with, with all that noise, you were very it's optimistic. Really, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the video he sent – I think he sent me a video of the noise, and – I couldn't really tell how bad it was. It was way worse once I got there. I mean, it was, it sounded like, it was more like a grinding, like a horrible screeching noise. Like it was, it was horrible. Uh, I thought there was something severely, severely wrong with it. I first, when I first got to it, but you know, having owned that that 92, you know, that's the vehicle I learned to wrench on at 220,000 mile XJ. So I, you know, the first thing I checked well, maybe not the first thing, maybe the second thing, um, was the, the flex plate bolts, which notoriously back out on XJs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow this guy had gotten to the point where all four of his flex plate bolts weren't just loose. They were <laughs> not even in there. Like, <laughs> Oh, wow. The, the flex plate was just, I guess, just, uh, yeah, it was, it, you know, it was just rubbing against the torque converter, I guess. That had to have been a uh, huge relief to find that uh, very common issue with XJs on the automatics. But it, that this had to, it was like, oh, this is it. This is what was making all the noise. You had to have been just really excited about it at this point. Well, I was, I was happy about that. You know, thrilled. It meant I didn't have to tear the, the engine down. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it doesn't get much simpler. You take the shield off, you rotate the motor in the right orientation, and then you just 
sure you got a combination wrench or something and tighten them down with some Loctite. It's fairly straightforward. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was really happy about that. And, you know, I think maybe your average person would have said, you know, as soon as I cranked those in, he fired the motor up and it sounded, well, it, it sounded okay at first, but once the oil started to flow through the engine, it sounded really nice. You know, it sounded like, like every four liter should. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess your average person might have said, wow, you know, for, for you know, $4, you know, 3 or $4 worth of Loctite, you know, I just got a free Jeep. Yeah. But this kid, you know, I, when I was in college, I could totally have seen myself, you know, having bought that 220,000 mile Jeep and, you know, you know, if I didn't have enough experience and something happened to it, I could see myself getting overwhelmed. And I thought to myself, you know, what if I sold my first XJ? Like it would have changed my trajectory. I think, right. Actually, there's no doubt it would have changed my life's trajectory. Mm-hmm. That first XJ, I think was critical in getting me pretty much every job I've ever had. And, you know, I'll, it doesn't seem straightforward, but in most of my, 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 my interviews, so I, I studied uh, mechanical engineering in college. Um, you know, my junior year, I think it was after my sophomore year, you know, I interviewed with Cummins. I worked three months at Cummins Diesel in Columbus, Indiana. A lot of my interviews, a lot of engineers, there are plenty of engineers who are good at theory. They're great at math and science and, 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 and that's great. But oftentimes, a, uh, you know, a, someone in the industry who's interviewing someone, they want to know that you actually know how it all works in practice. And um, I noticed in my interviews, you know, with Cummins and with Chrysler after, after college, my, uh, my interviewees, um, my interviewers rather, they, they were very interested in, in my wrenching on these Jeeps and, and how I could problem solve and how I understood the systems. And I, and I really do think that was critical uh, in me getting, you know, that internship at Cummins and also, you know, my internship and then subsequent full-time job at, at Chrysler. And I, I, I'm taking it you didn't want to take this away from the, uh, the young college student with his uh, 92 XJ that you uh, brought back from death. No, I couldn't do it. You know, <laughs> this was his first Jeep, and uh, he, I could tell he loved it. He just got overwhelmed, just like some of us do sometimes. And uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I said, no, man, you keep it. And he was really happy, really appreciative. So yeah. it was great. I mean, technically I drove 500 miles to tighten four bolts, but, you know, I think it was worth it still. And, and you spent overnight there as well. This wasn't just a, uh, just do the bolts and then you were done. This was actually check several things, compression. I was reading the article right before the interview, uh, checked some cylinder compression. I mean, you were really ready to drop the pan, but you checked the bolts first, which, uh, obviously is a, 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 the thing to do before you uh, start going that, that far with it. So it was an overnight deal. You spent a lot of time and effort on this. So uh, have you heard from him since then? Has he done anything more with the, with the Jeep that you know of? <laughs> well, you know, I wish I could tell you the good news, but uh, he, um, his engine blew up. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, his engine blew up later. But actually it blew up on his way I think he told me on his way back from picking up a four liter, because in the back of his XJ, on the flatbed, yeah, 
So his XT was on a flatbed, and he had a four liter in the back. So he'll be oh, fine. Geez. He'll just swap that in. <laughs> and I told him I'll help him out if he needs help swapping that in. I'll run almost down there and take made care it. Of it. And, and don't forget the Loctite on the flex plate bolts when you were putting that in. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> Well, that's great. He sounds like he's definitely a, a Jeeper. We're going to have to see if we can't reach out to him and uh, uh, see what's going on with uh, with his Jeep. Now, his the, the 92 that he had uh, had a bit of rust on it, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, I, think it, I think it's an Ohio vehicle. Anything from that area or Michigan, it's going to be, it's going to have rockers rusted and then the rear quarters. He wasn't that bad. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it's any, anyway, it's, it's great that, uh, that he, you left him with his Jeep and he left him with a running Jeep. And, uh, I would imagine it took a while before, uh, before he blew up the engine. Any, any idea why the engine went out on him? Did he describe anything, uh, that, uh, that maybe the oil was low or he was uh, racing it, drag racing it or something? I think he was, yeah, he was telling me he was going like 80 on the highway and everything was good. And then something went out, you know, I, I personally, and I, I think I sent, I sent him this email. I'm still skeptical that he that he killed the motor. Yeah, I am. Too. I mean, I mean, really, if he doesn't have a rod through the block and he didn't have smoke coming out of the tailpipe and his oil was clean, I'm just saying it's probably fine. I don't know. It's it's hard I, to kill. I, I'm those really things. interested in seeing what's wrong. Yeah. No, actually, I do know it. He did. He was right. He sent me a picture and there's a hole in the piston. Oh, oh boy! Do you think he dropped a valve actually, or something? I think it was cylinder yeah. one, the one, the one that I compression tested oh. and found low compression, but still, you know, it's probably fine. These gauges are kind of, you know, they don't always right. work. Right. <laughs> he had a big hole in the piston. Damn. Well, but he's doing stuff to it. So he pulled the head off himself then. Yeah. He's, he's getting it done. Oh, that's great. That's he's excited. He, yeah. he wants to take a road trip from Alaska all the way to, he has this huge road trip planned. You know, he's, Clearly got some work ahead of him before he can start that, but yeah, he's 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 jeeper now. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great story, and uh, really appreciate you sharing it with us. Not only here on the interview, but of course on Jalapnik. It was a, a great story to read, and uh, I mm-hmm. like I said before, I read that and I said, man, I got to get this on, th- get this guy on to talk about this. I mean, it's a a wonderful uh, jeeper helping out a jeeper story. Yeah, yeah. It was honestly, I enjoyed it myself. I think so it just goes to show you that you're truly a Jeeper if you do something like that, because I don't think anyone who doesn't have a Jeep would have done the same thing. They would have just taken the Jeep and ran with it. Yeah, I agree. Oh, especially at that point, because you know what? You yeah. got something uh, really nice to, to use. Uh, and I guess the only other one that, and I think what you did was probably easier, but the only other one uh, that is a, is a cool Jeep get is whenever it won't start, where you go up to somebody because it's been sitting in the same place for months and months and months, and you say, hey, uh, are you interested in selling this? Well, they won't start. Does it turn over? Yeah, but it just won't start. You throw a CPS in it and drive it home. Yep, that's right. <laughs> sensor and, yeah. yeah, but man, wouldn't you feel bad just firing it up right in front of them and just running home? I mean, I don't know. I'd feel yeah, no, it's not right. Uh, no, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Now, if it was a college kid, that might be something different, or or some sixteen year old, and and that type of situation, that probably would be something different. Uh, but uh, a, a couple that already had another vehicle, and it was just something they were using, and they've been uh, doing without it for four months. Sure, why not? You're doing them a favor, and uh, you're uh, you're you're bringing life back to a Jeep. So anyway, uh, now after Cummings, uh, I don't know if this was directly from there, but you actually worked for Jeep there for a bit, didn't you? That's right. That was uh, for two years. Um, Cummins was an internship. Uh, I think it was, yeah, it was summer 2011. But the following summer, 
I got an in- I scored an internship with Chrysler. Um, and, uh, I think I was doing packaging stuff. So siding where various components, uh, are going to live in a car. And I think I was, yeah, I was working on the minivan, the Pacifica, which you know, oh, you poor wasn't exactly my top choice, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but then I got a full-time offer after that. Excellent. And, um, I, the guy who interviewed me, uh, he, you know, he was my boss. He's, you know, big into wrenching. So I really appreciated that, that part of, you know, the fact that I wrenched on stuff. And mm-hmm. when I got there, he said, Hey, what, uh, what do you want to work on? You can choose whatever, wow. what, which program nice. do you want to work on? And I was like, I mean, Wrangler and Viper, you know, I'm a car enthusiast. Those are the cool ones. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't much going on with Viper since they killed it. Right. Um, so yeah, I was all Wrangler all the time for two years doing, you know, powertrain cooling work. I was the systems integration responsible for two years. So my job is to make sure that cooling system actually, you know, it all, 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 the, all the parts work together as a system that uh, is going gonna, is gonna to meet the requirements of the owners. And, and, and folks, this is for the Wrangler JL, the one that just came out. So this was, uh, this is kind of a big deal. Uh, I mean, working on any Jeep uh, at, uh, for FCA would be a big deal to me. But uh, the I've I've been very impressed with the Wrangler JL, especially after they came out with uh, the replacement Cherokee, and uh, you know came out with that tennis shoe looking thing. Uh, I was really concerned whenever the new Wrangler was coming out, what it would look like <laughs> and if it would be anything mm-hmm. close to what we resembled uh, the, a Wrangler to be. And I, yeah. I'm very happy to see with what what they came out with. And uh, hey, appreciate your work on it too. Not that we would be able to tell the difference uh, as far as how. Uh, how it looks and how it uh, performs, but certainly if the engine's not running cool, uh, it's going to be a very short drive. <laughs> That's fact. <laughs> so, what are you doing now uh, if you're not uh, you're not a Jeep? I work for July. I'm a writer. I write about cars. Now, how in the world can anybody? Full-time? How can anybody make a living as a writer? I got a friend that's written a couple of books, and she says that there's no money in it. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's enough to to buy me some junky jeeps when I when I you know, every now and again. <laughs> that is a great answer. <laughs> two, three SJs out back, a J a J ten, a Cherokee Golden Eagle, and a Grand Wagoneer. I mean, they're all oh, wow. very cheap and rusty, but you know they're still there. Well, see, you need to move then, down. Uh, to, you need to move down to Texas, and you get them down here, and there's no rust on them. You know, the thing is, the rust is what's it is what's stopping me from just going you know, crazy overload, you know, <laughs> like if I get to Texas and I just see rust free Jeeps, if they cost any, anywhere, you know, if they're as cheap as they are up here, there's no stopping me. I'll go into bankruptcy. Yeah. You know, I, I wish that I could win the lottery. <laughs> I'd like to buy up every XJ that I could find, modify them, put them on a lot and uh, sell them as toys to people, you know, for uh, for weekend and off road type stuff. I think it'd be so cool to have a, a parking lot full of uh, lifted and modified uh, Cherokees, just just wall to wall. Yeah. I've had a similar dream, except my dream, and this is blasphemy considering I'm on Jeep Talk Show, but my dream is to have a huge parking lot filled with bone stock XJs, completely stock, mm-hmm. just you know, no cut flares, you know, maybe maybe a moderate lift two inches. There we go. That's how it starts. And a half yeah, uh-huh. thirty one. <laughs> But just some like, cause I just love the way the XJ looks right from the factory, you know, with, you know, with those center players intact and, 
you know, not too, too much lift amount on huge. I don't know. I, I consider the, the XJ one of the most perfect Jeeps uh, uh, in terms of design. Well, it was very much copied by the other manufacturers. You know, Ford came out with the Explorer and uh, that same boxy shape that you wouldn't, I, you know, I just didn't expect to see that in the later, uh, the latter part of the 20th century, the box, you know, uh, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice design and uh, I'm, uh, I'm really happy with mine. Oh, uh, one thing I wanted to, uh, to ask you uh, that I remember reading in the article you actually drove that uh, 250 miles out to uh, Columbus uh, in, in a, a, a Cherokee, didn't you? That's right. So what color was that yeah. Cherokee? Burgundy. Dark red. No comment. <laughs> wait, wait. Hold on. What's going on here? Yeah. It's the best color for the XJ, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but, but what's the best color for a Wrangler? <laughs> red, Tammy. Uh, also dark red. The, no, no, no. Early no. In, the, in, in the JK days. Wait, so, it depends no, on which no. Wrangler we're talking. If we're talking JK, actually, you I, know what? I like the uh, the green that the JK launched with. Now, yeah. see, now see, you're just screwing yourself up red here, David. <laughs> just stick with the red. I like that one, and then I also like dark red on, J, on JK. Yeah, you know, the blue. Uh, I really like the blue. Ooh. The blue ones. The blue ones are nice as well. All right, man. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up. Great interview. What? Uh, but let's do what the kids like to hear about. They like to hear about the social media, so they can follow all the pictures. And uh, you know, uh, hopefully, you're you're uh, uh, active on Instagram, so we can see pictures of this uh, this uh, Jeep. I don't want to call them dead, like it is a graveyard, but all, all of them sitting in the back. Where where can we the go junkers. to? Yeah, where can we go to follow you and see the pictures of what you're doing? Well, uh, I would just say go to jalopnik.com. You know, uh, you'll see plenty of my stuff. You'll see lots of cool truck uh, articles from, from my coworkers and, and just awesome car content. Jalopnik.com, you know, I've got my own social media, but really what I want to sort of get across is visit Jalopnik. It's a great website. No, no problem. That's, uh, that's perfectly fine. It really it's, is, it's yeah. It's up to you. Uh, and, and one other quick, quick comment here, uh, your love of the Vipers. Uh, I was uh, just, you know, for years and years and years, I wanted a Corvette, a Corvette, Corvette. And uh, I actually had an opportunity to test drive a Viper. And after that, I wanted a Viper. My God, what a nice, I mean, it, yeah, it, it just stuck. And the salesman wanted to go fast. So it was a lot of fun. It wasn't just a regular test drive. So it, it, I just couldn't believe how well the it's traction is. It's hard to explain the Viper, you know? Oh, my God. If you're a rational person, it's hard to explain why it's so good. Yeah. First, you lay down inside of it. <laughs> seriously it's it was hard as hell to get uh not only in but out of that thing but boy once you're in it it's like a rocket all right david thanks a lot for being with us tonight we really appreciate you making the time and uh i know that you got a guest there that you're waiting to go uh go talk to so we appreciate you doing that while your guest patiently waited hopefully they fixed themselves a drink and they've just been making fun of you while you've been doing the interview yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's all good. Thanks a lot, Tony, Josh, Tammy. I appreciate it. Thank Anytime, you, David. man. Glad to have you on. Take care. Well, got to give a big thanks again to David Tracy for taking the time to talk about riding for Jalopnik and those crazy Jeep adventures. Uh, seriously, now with that uh, driving 500 miles to Titan for both, who would do that except for a Jeeper? Awesome story. And uh, hopefully maybe we can have David on uh, again in the future to talk about, well, what else is happening over in his Jeep life and Jalopnik too. So that was pretty cool. It was great finding out that he uh, actually worked at uh, a Jeep. I guess if FCA would be the proper thing to say. Uh, but because uh, I had no idea uh, that he had uh, had done that. So 
a very interesting uh, uh, and, and relatively brief career for David. Uh, so it uh, was a fun interview, and we really appreciate him taking the time to, to be on the show. Absolutely. And hey, do you have an idea for a guest? Maybe you want to be a guest on the Jeep Talk Show. Well, go head over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and share your idea for our next great guest or drop in, drop us your contact information. We'll get a hold of you, get you on the show. From the mind of Nikki G. Hey, this is Nikki G. And, uh, Tammy, I put together a top five list of things you should know about North Carolina when you come visit uh, uh, this uh-oh. spring at the Warrior Invasion, sponsored by Carolina Trails Off-Road. <laughs> and, uh, one thing you should remember is that North Carolina is divided into three sections. The coastal section to the east, which you visited right. before, I believe. The mountain area to the west. And the space in between is called the Piedmont, which is an Indian yep. word for not much to do. Uh-oh. <laughs> Number thing you should know about North Carolina is uh, bring plenty of bug spray because Uh-oh. chiggers are a real thing. Oh, yeah, I've and had I'm not going to make the obvious joke that our state bird is a mosquito. It, it's not. It's a cardinal infested with mites and fleas. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Number three is fish camps. It's not a place for you to spend a night with your pet goldfish. It's a place to gorge yourself on fish. Yeah. Uh, if you get a chance, I rec- highly recommend you visit one of our many fish camps. You, you will not be disappointed. Unless, of course, you hate fish. and then uh, I hate fish. It'll probably be the worst night of your life. Yeah. And uh, Our iced tea comes sweetened to a ratio yeah, I knew of that. one pound of sugar per three ounces of liquid. <laughs> yep. And the fifth thing to remember about North Carolina is that our, although our state bird is a cardinal, our state flower is an orange construction barrel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys and girls, I'll chat to you later. And I'll t- see you there. Goodbye. Oh, uh, it's great. I can't believe That's you hysterical. hate fish. Come on, man. Fish is wonderful. Oh, I don't know what he said. Fish yeah, is wonderful. I, My God, Tammy. No, I don't eat seafood. I don't eat fish. I don't drink sweet tea. And I've had chickers. And you don't go to North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> I, I lived in South Carolina for about 13 years before I had my kids, so um, I'm pretty well acquainted. And actually, my stepson lives um, in Charlotte, and his father actually works at the same place that Nikki G works. Oh, I'll be darned. Interesting. It's a small, small world, world, huh? Yeah, yeah, it is. But I look, I look forward to wearing that tinfoil hat in, a, in about, what, two months. That should be fun. Oh, I didn't realize it was that long away. I thought it was sooner than that. Okay, well, I'm yeah, looking it's in, forward to it. Well, yeah, May. So, the is it the first weekend? It's the third weekend in May. So, yeah, kind of close. Yeah. A couple of months sounds about right, though. Okay, folks, it's time, and I don't have an open for this because, you know, I don't rate enough like Nikki G does to have uh, my own Opening, yeah, open drop, yeah. Jeep, yeah, Jeep Mama's product review. And I want to talk about, and I know I've talked about these before, but these are actually new. It's the JT Brooks Automatic Tire Deflator Pros. Now, I'm sure you know this. When I first began my off-road journey, one of the first off-road accessories I bought for myself were the JT Brooks Automatic Tire Deflators, and they come in a set of four. And recently, they've come out with the Pro version. Now, the Pro version eliminates the need to calibrate them 
You simply just dial in your desired PSI and you go. Now, both of these tire deflators automatically and accurately deflate your tires to the set PSI. So once they're set, you just screw them on to each tire's valve stem and they do all the work. And then they automatically shut off when the PSI is reached. So this saves so much time when you're out on the trails getting ready to go off-roading and you can deflate all the tires at once. And this allows you to complete other tasks like putting up your video camera or putting on your chapstick, whatever you need to do while you're deflating your tires. And these, the automatic feature of these tire deflators eliminate the need to manually deflate your tires so you spend less time, like I said. Now, if you frequently air down to different pressures, the pro version can eliminate the calibration process. Some people air down different PSI when they go on the sand versus rock crawling and in the mud, etc. So you use the precision laser engraved scale to dial in your desired PSI. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to test these out and I have a video of me doing this on YouTube. And what did I learn? I learned that you really, really, really need to read the directions before you do anything. <laughs> anyway, I do. Um, one of the reasons I got them was because I guess I will have to admit I'm lazy. Um, my first set of tire deflators are set right now at 18 PSI. And a lot of folks are now recommending that I should try 15 PSI. So I decided I'm going to do that the next time I go off road. But I didn't know, I didn't want to do that, or I, if I didn't want to be at 15 PSI and I wanted to go back to 18, I didn't want to have to recalibrate them back to 18 and so on and so on. So I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to buy the pro version so I don't have to worry about it. So depending on where you get um, the deflators, it's... They're about $30 more than the automatic ones, and I think they're so worth the extra money. And they're super easy to set, like I said, if you read the directions. But basically what you do is you loosen, there's a lock ring nut until you see the PSI scale. Then you turn this adjustment knob or the body of it until the desired PSI lines up with the top of the body. And then it's an approximate setting, so I highly suggest you test them out before you hit the trails to verify your PSI, and that's what I did. And thankfully, I tested them out because I adjusted mine all wrong because I didn't read the directions. And my tires kept deflating and deflating, and I'm like, that just doesn't look right. And I quickly turned them off, and I was down to 8 PSI. Um, what they ended up being set to zero because I set the PSI to the top of the lock ring, not the top of the body. So reading the directions is important. Lesson learned by me. But anyway, once I figured out how to properly dial it in, which is so easy, um, if you check out my video on YouTube channel, you can see how close I got to 15 PSI. I did really, really good. Um, and it's definitely well worth the $99 for the set of the pros. So now I'm wondering, what do I do with my original set? I, you know, I don't want to sell them, but maybe I should do a giveaway or something. We'll see. 
Or you could throw them in the uh, glove compartment and have them if you, uh, you know, something breaks or just have them available. Right. Or or maybe Excellent. for a buddy, you know. Uh, I'm yep. sure Nate has a pair of his own, but if you're uh, wheeling with Nate, you might be able to uh, let him borrow them. So, you know, I, I don't I'm know really, if Nate has any. You don't think so? But I, don't, I don't remember. Uh, you know, I, I can't help but wonder if they have a set that you have to calibrate and then they have a pro version that you don't have to calibrate. I'm a little surprised because I would think that if I was getting automatic tire tire deflators, that you'd be able to set them to the PSI that you wanted, and they would get you within, you know, a plus or minus one PSI, maybe two. Uh, I, I'm just really surprised that there's some that you you can't rely on to be the no to, no to be what it says. No, the the automatic ones, the first version, you don't know. There's not a ring that says 15 psi, 20 psi. The new ones do. the The first ones just had a ring, and you had to deflate your tire to the set to let's oh, say what you wanted PSI. it set to. Right, and once you set it, once you calibrate it to that, because they didn't have the what are they the engraved line i wish i had um one here so i could show you but yeah, if the you hash look marks, at my video the, uh, the measuring yes. already done for you all right well that makes sense right. yeah, that yes. that sounds like a m- much more useful uh thing to have especially like what you were talking because different surfaces could require different uh, psis i mean if you're only doing right. rocks then i guess you know you you set it and you know where it needs to be uh but uh, right. oh yeah much rather have those but for a hundred bucks good god i know i see to me i don't mind spending money on jeep stuff because i don't buy i don't buy purses i don't buy makeup i don't buy shoes i don't buy you know scarves or jewelry or or winches so right or winches (laughs) now you really want me to buy a winch don't you i i'm I'm just you got a hole there and you need to fill it you got this winch bumper and there's no winch there I'll just put a potted plant there, Tony. Yeah, that'd be fine. <laughs> or, or maybe, or, or maybe you can get a uh, uh, inflatable doll. Uh, that yeah. would be uh, yeah, right. Fish kind of a, tank, you know, whatever. Yeah. Fish tank is an excellent idea. Yeah. A little some goldfish. <laughs> uh, t- good times, good times, guys. Hey, do you have an idea for a product review? Just go ahead and visit our contact page and let us know what you'd like to hear on our next product review. And folks, coming up in a few minutes, wheeling where? So I learned something new or knew it and forgot. Let's go with that. <laughs> Either way, I found this interesting. I was listening to our new 4x4 network member on the Trail podcast, and they were discussing some of their listeners calling in and uh, taking them to task about how uh, they were talking about pulling people out, you know, ones that were stuck or in harm's way or, you know, whatever. Apparently, just uh, pulling some uh, one's vehicle out with your Jeep in reverse is a no-no. Why? Well, they said that the ring gear uh, in your, the, you know, the thing that's in your diff, ring and pinion, uh, the thing that takes it uh, from uh, the drive shaft spinning to getting the wheels to spin. Uh, well, there's a, a, a the, the pattern on the ring, and then Josh will be able to explain this better. Uh, the, the notches, if you will, or the little metal p- bits that stick up. The one edge is a drive side, and the other uh, edge is the coast part of the ring. Well, when you're in reverse, you're technically putting all the stress on the coast side of the ring, and it, it's got an angle, and there's just not as much metal there making contact to the pinion. So it's not as strong. So 
I was just, I was amazed at this, and they were basically saying that if you needed to have the strength of the Jeep and you didn't want to possibly break a ring or break the pinion, that you should be pulling forward, moving forward and not reverse. Josh, did you know about this? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a little bit of old school, uh, you know, recovery technique type stuff. I mean, it's it's one of the things where you're going to have a, a stronger pull in, 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 you know, going forward. Some people say that, you know, you've got more grunt, you've got a little more torque going in reverse just because of the way the transmission works. Yeah, the gear, and there's, yeah. yeah and, and, and there's some, you know, different sides, just different schools of thoughts on, on that one. And, and I'm a little bit on the fence as far as, you know, which, which way you do that, you know, as, as far as, you know, forward or back, you know, which one's better or whatnot. Really, you know, sometimes a recovery doesn't give you the option. Right. Um, whether it's the, the, you know, the 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 angle of the hill, the way the trail is cut, or just location, you can't get in to that area or you get a vehicle turned around. And so you're, you're kind of limited, in which case, you know, you got to start, you know, just using your head a little bit and some common sense. And I always say an ounce of common sense goes a long way when it comes to vehicle recovery. And certainly being able to see if you're uh, pulling out somebody uh, and you're going in reverse, you're certainly able to see the situation much better. Uh, so, uh, but it's very interesting to me and it makes perfect sense how, uh, it would be weaker that way. Now, if I, and, and I believe this is correct, that if uh, you go higher numerically in your gearing, uh, like 456 or whatever the 525, 518, I can't remember what it is. 513. 513. Uh, that the, the contact points between the ring and the pinion, uh, are not as strong because well, that depends entirely on the diameter of the ring gear um you know if you try and do run 513s in a dana 30 you're you're really you're riding on like a tooth and a half uh, if that even i don't even know if you can fit 513s in a dana 30 um i know i know like 488s in a, in a dana 30 is an extremely weak gear set um there's a lot of guys that run it there's a lot of guys that run them with success and whatnot but you got to understand that you're you're really you're running on like two gear teeth. You know, the, you, you don't have a whole lot of engagement between the pinion gear and the ring gear. And so when you don't have that kind of engagement, you know, it, it lends to a very weak uh, differential and and things can grenade very quickly, and right. especially when you start bouncing, you know, or you start you're in a difficult recovery when there's a lot of yanking and stuff. So, you know, th- and this is a, another great you know, point to bring up as far as recovery gear and having the right gear to recover a vehicle for your setup and whatnot. And, and really kinetic recovery ropes will save you a lot of pro, a lot of issues dealing with this kind of stuff with, you know, trying to recover stuck vehicles, letting the rope generate that kinetic energy and, and let it do all the work instead of your drivetrain. And actually, uh, this is a great uh, a great thing for a winch because if you're using the winch, absolutely, you're you're putting pressure on the the ring and pinion, but not the same as putting all the torque from your engine to pull it out because now you're you're right. transferring that to the winch, and and really you can just use the the weight of the vehicle and your brakes, uh, and to, to actually you could actually tie off a. Uh, tie your uh, rear to a tree and then mm-hmm. uh, and and then release a lot of that I've that energy. I've been in those kinds of situations actually. Had a very very difficult vehicle recovery uh, one winter. Icy trails, snow is coming in, and and if this guy kept trying any further, he was going to rolling his rig down the ravine. 
And, and it just, it was one of these know. things where you had to get two or three vehicles, a couple of snatch blocks. One guy actually had to go around the trail, come back in oh, from wow. a different area, come down the trail so we can get him in the right, you know, get a vehicle up above this guy. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just a nightmare. We were, it was probably a good three and a half hour recovery with two or three different rigs, two winches in, 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 in use. I think, I think we even had to come along. Uh, in there, I've got some oh, pictures wow. of this uh, in my archive somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no, this was I, I got it this. was it was one heck of a. Th- <laughs> I got this picture of Gulliver waking waking uh, waking up on the beach with all these ropes on him. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of rigging involved in this one. Yeah, no, it's not too dissimilar. So anyway, uh, great information uh, that I heard over there on the, the on the Trail podcast, and uh, something I didn't uh, know uh, or had forgotten. So. Uh, keep that in mind. Uh, there's all kinds of things that you can know and uh, usually uh, BS about around the uh, the campfire about how how and when you should do things. <laughs> well, and speaking of the campfire, absolutely. You know, the campfire would be nice down here tonight. It's uh, it's kind of chilly. Yeah, it's been chilly out here as well, uh, down into the uh, low 30s at night. And uh, I yeah. figured, you know, we'd be we'd be done with the whole frost thing moving into the second week of March. But yeah, yeah I guess not. Guess not. Damn global warming. Well, it's kind of interesting too because um, uh, was it last weekend? Spring came uh, here in the Northwest. Yeah, spring, <laughs> yeah, spring for was a day, last weekend right? for us here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. uh, so everything decided to grow. <laughs> yeah. And, and now uh, it's, it's, it's frozen. And now Plus, it's going. What the hell is going on? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, it was it, really. We had like two days of like you know mid fifties, almost sixty degree weather, sunshine, blue skies, and it was like, oh, this is great. And the trees and grass and flowers and everything were like, yeah, this is great. Let's grow. And so yeah, I had to. I was instantly doing yard work all well, last. Well, week, down here so. in southeast Texas, we get this thing. You know, when spring comes, you get this uh, this dusting of yellow pollen all over ah, your vehicle yes and yeah we and, get that here too and, and that ha- that's happened we there's and everybody that has allergies out here are just going nuts because of mm-hmm. all this tree pollen and uh actually uh somebody was uh, posted a picture locally p- posted a picture up on facebook with all the yellow stuff uh on the front of her jeep and i uh i quickly said you've been pollinated and the yeah. Ar- arnold schwarzenegger voice you know a little parentheses you've been pollinated so I don't know. Uh, I think she took it wrong. <laughs> well, at least you didn't say that she had a tree gasm all over her. Oh, very true. Very true. <laughs> oh, that's gross. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. N- needless to say, uh, doing yard work for you know almost two weekends straight uh, has uh, taken time away from doing uh, transfer case rebuild, which I do have the parts for. I noticed uh, uh, Tony off the air and and kind of outside of uh, normal channels. You were you were talking about a box that you had found. Uh, that contained a transfer case chain. Uh, it looked like it had kind of been around on the shelf for a little while, and oh, yeah. it was kind of funny because um, it, it, clearly that looked like it's been around for a couple few years. And I was like, "Well, that's the exact same box that I have." Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's the same same chain that's going to be going in my transfer case as the one that you had uh, sitting on your shelf. So Borg Warner Morse, which I think I had been calling the TRW chain, because in my mind I had seen you know parts from from for a car or something that were from trw and borg warner in my head i i knew it was one of those two so i've been calling it a trw chain which everybody Uh goes trw they don't make chains (laughs) (laughs) so anyway that that mystery has been solved it's a borg warner morris which apparently is one of the best chains if not the best change the chain that you can get and probably the one that uh, at least according to novak uh the one that uh, chrysler sells 
so I'm, I'm I'm at this point right now where where part of my subconscious is like, dude, the Jeep is running. You could drive it right now. Why do you want to yank the transfer case and make this thing undrivable again? You're you're you know you're so close. The lights at the end of the tunnel. You're there. You could drive this thing around right now if you wanted to, but no, got to rebuild the transfer case. So. It's not a bad idea. You'll be able to take it off road uh, this way, and well, and, yeah, that's and you never exactly. know when somebody's going to ask you. It's exactly it. Is uh, right now, it's it's not wheelable. Um, it won't stay in four wheel drive, so it, it's definitely an issue that's got to get taken care of. And I know that it's not a linkage issue, um, so that means shift fork pads, um, and that means rebuild. So if you're going to be in there, you might as well yeah. do this, that, and the other thing. Uh, and, uh, but it's, but it's hard because the Jeep's been down for so long and I'm finally at the point now where it's running again and, and I technically could drive it around. Uh, but you know, the transfer case leaks, it's spewing fluid, um, under, on the undercarriage and whatnot. I don't want to drive it around like that. Oh, you're and gonna, of course, you're gonna it's screw it up. If you don't, you're going to screw up that transfer yeah, case exactly. if you don't take care I don't, of it. So I don't, I don't want to end up grenading this whole thing just for the sake of, you know, having some fun with it, you know, driving it around a little bit. Um, so, you know, doing the right thing. Uh, I got the, got the, the right parts and everything, got the right chain. And, uh, so I got, I got to dig into this. Uh, so likely it's going to be this weekend. Um, I'm going to try and get to it this weekend, at least get the, the case out. Um, I have my other case out and split apart and halfway taken apart on the workbench right now. Um, and that was, that was pretty much what made me determine that, Hey, it's probably going to be a good idea if you just get the rebuild kit and rebuild the one that's under the Jeep. So, so do you have to drop the, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, What's that thing? The brace that goes across uh, holds up the transmission. Oh, the cross member. The, yeah. Do you have to drop? Yeah. Do you have to drop the uh, the cross member so you can get to that top bolt on the uh, transfer case to pull it out? Yeah, I'm likely going to do that. Um, I, I think what I did before was the transfer case and maybe even a motor mount or two. I can't oh, wow. remember if I had if I had dropped those or not as well, and and got the engine to angle down, be able to get on top of that transmission, get to that that upper bolt, which no matter what, it's going to be a pain in the butt unless you got the drivetrain out of the vehicle. So any amount that you can get the engine and transmission everything to drop down a couple few more inches so that you can get a ratchet in there and and you know something more than a quarter inch you know uh set up to get some torque and and get some more than a 16th or a 32nd of a turn at a time right uh, oh i hate that it's just a pain in the butt i'm not looking forward that's the other thing i've got i've got you know this monumental task ahead of me that i know is going to have some pain in the butt moments mm-hmm. you know that, well, that that's uh, hard to get it started because of that that, that front bearing that front journal bearing um uh, the, that top bolt you know all, all that there's just there's there's a few things that i know i'm going to have some snags on that's going to be like well you're not going to be able to do this in, in an afternoon is it something that you could actually cut an access hole and perhaps uh, put a piece of metal uh, and screw it down or is it just in, in a the wrong place for that it's just one of those things where you got to take some extra time and and you might have to take some extra steps and it's not going to be just a straightforward thing you might yeah, have to do you know c d and e before you can get to a and b uh type of thing so it, it, it's really you know the best way drop that cross member get the transmission to drop down a little bit remove the drive shaft you know get get right. yourself some separation to where you can get your tools in there and get it done now, the last time that I removed a transfer case, I didn't quite have as many, you know, wobbly bits and U-joint bits and stuff like that. So I've got a little bit better of a tool selection 
this time around on this transfer case. So I should be able to, uh, you know, make it easy on myself at least. So I know some of you guys are going, haven't you replaced the chain? Didn't you put a uh, SYE kit on your, uh, Oh yeah. On your, I'm, I'm talking about me, about my transfer oh. case. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm asking about that bolt, you know, like I've never done it. Well, I haven't. I've never had the transfer case out of oh. my vehicle, so I've never. I've I've always worked on it under the vehicle. All the work that oh. I've done has been under the vehicle. So I just want to make that clear. Uh, yeah, I've changed. I've changed the chain several times, but the transfer case has never been out of there. Parts have been out of there, but not the whole thing. Yeah, I've had I've had the case out. Um, uh, well, I've had the case out of this Jeep once before. Uh, actually, technically twice because I replaced it once. Um, and then I've, I've had other transfer cases out of other Jeeps and whatnot. I, but yeah, this is I'm not looking forward to it. That that's and that might be part of the reason why. Yeah, of course it is. I I kind of maybe subconsciously decided that I wanted to do yard work instead of you know wrenching on the Jeep. But well, it really the yard work needed to get done and and. I knew I wasn't going to have a you know another shot at it for a couple of weeks. So well, that that's the old joke where you know uh, you're uh, you're looking around in the living room like you're searching the floor for something, and and the the wife says, uh, "What are you looking for?" Oh, I'm looking for blah blah blah, and he says, uh, "Oh, did you drop it uh, over here by the couch?" Well, no, I dropped it in the kitchen, but the light's better in here. So it's the same. <laughs> it's the same deal with the work. Do well, the yard is easier to get to, so I'm going to yeah. do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Tammy. Well, oh, uh, real quick. I'm sorry. Uh, so did you tell me, Josh, in the past something about Novak having the heavy-duty NP242 parts? So if you wanted to make it NP242, the heavy-duty gear, I mean, the wider gears, the wider so chain. the person that I talked to was not savvy. I'm going to say that um, I, I didn't really want to give them a whole lot of grief. I didn't right. want to, you know, well, transfer me to somebody who knows what they're talking about type of thing, you know, um, and, and realistically, you know, there's it, it. It's one of those things where, yeah, I probably could have, you know, gone through the extra steps, found the information I needed from from either this person or somebody else and, you know, just made that happen. But, you know, ultimately, I was just like, you know, it's not that important for me, right. or at least at this point in the game. Um, and it's something that I can do later down the road. I know that the transfer case is going to need to be rebuilt again at some point in the future. Right. This Jeep isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So, you know, it, there will be room for upgrades later on. So it, it, am I doing that now? Not at this point in time. Uh, is it still on the radar? Absolutely. So I was uh, I, I did have a, a conversation through email with a savvy person. And uh, I sent them an email. Their website says we got all kinds of crap. Ask, ask. You know, we probably have it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, that's what I did. And I was hoping that I, I, I thought you had said that they heavy, carry the heavy duty parts. And I'm thinking maybe I can go that direction uh, with mine. I, I'm about ready to uh, replace the chain. I'm not going to replace the gears because uh, I don't think it it needs to happen. I haven't, you know pop the chain a bunch right. uh but you know the oil pump the uh the pickup uh the pickup tube and of course the that bearing that I've, I've talked about and the seal on the front yoke so i know i'm doing those things but i'm so i'm checking with novak i haven't heard back from him yet i asked him yesterday in an email uh i'm hoping that they're going to say yeah we got a chain we got the gears uh, i may not mess with the planetaries as far as going you know with more act more uh uh, contact points. I think the ones in there is like a four or five, and there's a six. At least that was what it was for the 231. But uh, anyway, I'm I'm hoping that they 
they have some parts where I can get a wider chain on there. I'd like to be done with that. It would be wonderful if I could uh, keep the 242 in there and not have to go to a 231. Well, from what I understand, it's just going to be a matter of swapping out some of the gears. So if, if you want to go with a wider chain, you're going to have to do some gear swapping. That's fine uh, Just me. because that, that, that chain has to ride on journals of a wider gear set. So, yeah. um, you know, that that's... And and that's going to require, uh, um, you know, a hydraulic press. Uh, it's going to require um, what does? Know, a little bit of no. The gears, uh, well, the gears come right off. There's a snap I, ring. I think the one gear for the for the chain doesn't really just come off like that. I changed I, I them both a, on the two forty two. I changed them both, okay. and it was it was the simplest thing to do. <laughs> I was surprised how simple it was. Well, you're getting well, ready to open yours up. You can see. Yeah, I'm, I was going to say there's, there's. I, I know for a fact that I am going to have to be taking my output shaft into work to be using the press for some of this stuff. So I, I know for a fact that some of this stuff is going to be pressed on and pressed off. Uh, some of the stuff does pop off and, and come off real easy um, with uh, uh, with the snap rings and stuff, but. Um, but I do know there's going to be some stuff that's going to need to be pressed on. Yeah, if you're doing a full rebuild, that's, that's certainly true. But uh, the two gears, the driven, you know, the, the two the two gears that the chain goes on, I replaced both of those. And uh, hmm. I didn't have to do any of that. So oh, well. it's been a while. Maybe I'm remembering wrong. Uh, but I, in, in my memory, I replaced hmm. them both. Anyway, uh, Tammy, what gears have you changed? What gears have I changed? <laughs> what grinds um, your gears? <laughs> yeah. I changed from, um, I did it the easy way, though. I just swapped my Jeep out. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> That's about as easy as it gets right I like, there. I like what you right. said earlier. Right? Expensive. I like yeah. what you said earlier, and I, I just had to pay a little bit more for this one, which right. which really is nice since you have a Rubicon and all those, uh, you know, just the, the, the lockers alone. I, 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 that's, that's really cool, going from a Sahara to a, a Rubicon and just a, a few hundred dollars more a month. Yeah. Um, so I have a question for you guys. Sure. There's, remember when we were, I can't remember who we were interviewing and I, they asked me about off-roading in Maryland and I said, there are no legal places to off-road. And they were like, oh yeah, there's this trails off-road website and there's a place in Frederick, Maryland. And so I found this and it's, it's not really off-roading because they rated the trail. It's the Frederick watershed and they rated the trail one to two, which is easy. And it's mm, basically yeah. dirt road, some ruts. So my question is, I really want to go check it out. It's like 30 minutes away from me. Oh yeah. Would it, would it be okay? I mean, they always say you should never wheel alone. It's not really, you know, like rock crawling or wheeling. And I mean, it's can, just like, you can always make the determination when you get out there that it's not safe for you to be out there by yourself. And turn right. I'll, I'll give you uh, uh, two little pieces of advice, Tammy. Uh, one, make sure that you tell somebody where you're going, right. where that place is, how to get there, and what time you're going to be back. And don't forget and to then, file a flight plan. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then when you get there, if you're going to have to get into something where you have to put it into four-wheel drive, and eh, maybe you want to go ahead and just do some light scouting. Um, maybe right. you know bypass uh, the you know the obstacles that sort of thing, uh, and then come back for you know the fun and the four wheeling and stuff like that when you've right. got a crew to come with you and stuff. So um, it's just like Tony was saying, kind of game time decision when you you, you, and you get there right. and you're like, oh yeah, this is just a dirt road. I'm going to follow this up to the top type of thing. No big deal. When you but you get there and there's a filter that you got to put it in four low and disconnect the sway bars. 
Eh, maybe that's something you want to wait for, you right. know, for your buddies to, to follow you into. And it's not like you don't have any off-road experience, so you should know what, what you have to right. do to, exactly. to go forward. So Right. Well, it says two-wheel drive under most conditions. Yeah. Uh, when, uh, when, uh, things can happen. You know, I wouldn't go right, right. after a storm or right after uh, 27 right. inches of snow or, you yeah. know, anything. Right. <laughs> well, it does say that, you know, there's like three inch water depth crossings unless it's like the spring where it could be 18 inches. And then it says rain or snow may make four wheel drive necessary. I mean, we don't have any snow right now. Yeah. Um, so I guess, I mean, if there's a creek there and it's flowing really fast and there's rapids i'm yeah like, oh no and, and and check uh, i don't like water anyway and, and check with uh what is it the local um game warden and stuff and make sure you're not going out during big bigfoot mating season uh, oh yes the jeep won't matter but you know you don't you just don't want to put yourself in right. that, that kind of danger exactly so i it's supposed to be nice this weekend so i was thinking it's like 15 minutes from frederick maryland I'd yeah, do a little recon. I'd do it. Yeah. Uh, turn on the camera, and the worst case is you get a great uh, survivor video type thing that your right. uh, <laughs> that your family can make money off of. Right there, you go. <laughs> I was stuck in the woods for three days before they found me. <laughs> well, hey, do you guys want to join in on the campfire side chat? Well, head over to jeeptalkshow.com/contact. You can find all the different ways you guys can reach out to us and join in on the fun. Well, coming up right now, guys, we're entering into the show season of the off-roading 2018, if you will. Yay. There's just a ton of stuff going on right now. And the big one that everybody's talking about is the 52nd annual Easter Jeep Safari. It's happening March 24th through April 1st in Moab, Utah. Basically one of, if not the largest Jeep event on the planet. If you guys want to learn more about this, well... Head over to the website for the club who puts this on each and every year, the Red Rock Four-Wheelers. Head over to rr4w.com. We'll have a link to the specific event details on the website. Of course, coming up later in April, we've got the Ruby Trucks and Route 16 presenting the Wari OHV Jamboree 2018. April 7th it is when it's all going down and gates open up at 9 a.m. Where? Well, of course, Uari OHV Park in Troy, North Carolina. There is going to be a huge swap meet, club convention, a kid's area. Check this out. Helicopter rides. Yeah, Woo. Vendors Expo, the whole nine, guys. A ton of really cool stuff happening at this event. And, uh, well, you want to go check it out for sure. We'll have a link to the all the show details and stuff like that for that event as well on the website. Now, this is another event I wanted to talk about because this is kind of an ongoing thing. And this one I thought was really cool. It's Jeep Night at Boardwalk Billy's on Sardis Road North in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's a monthly Jeep event, guys. The first Monday of every month between March and October, this is going on. So first Monday of the month, head over to Boardwalk Billy's. Jeepers from all over come together to see and show off their amazing rigs, learn about upgrades, talk to shops, clubs, and Facebook groups, plan rides and other events. Best of all, they do all this while raising money for children in need that are local to the area. 10% of all their food sales during the event will be given to the families in need. And 100% of the proceeds from their monthly raffle is given to the families with children in need. So please join the Jeep community the first Monday of every month between March and October and support this great cause. We're going to have a link to this event's details. But all you need to know, Boardwalk Billies, first Monday of every month, North Carolina, out in Charlotte. Be there, be square. 
Hey, do you know an off-road event coming up? Well, shoot us an email with some details. Have you been to a Jeep event recently? We'd love to hear from you. Just go to our contact page at jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and drop us a line. And coming up next week, we've got Paul from Jeep Cables. You guys know the company. You guys know what they do. And we're going to have the man himself on for an interview. Hey, folks, and don't forget, you can follow me on my Jeep journey at my blog on www.jeepmama.com. Well, that's it for this week, guys. Until next week, be sure to follow, friend, like, subscribe, and above all else, be sure to tell a friend about the one and only Jeep Talk Show. So no matter where you're wheeling, if you pack it in, pack it out, and don't wheel where you're not supposed to, remember to always tread lightly. If you'd like to learn more about the Tread Lightly principles and how you can help keep our trails and public lands open for off-road use, head over to www.treadlightly.org. I'm looking forward to the Jeep Cable Guy. That should be a great interview, guys. The Jeep Talk Show is only available while supplies last. Call now. Act fast. No delay. Some assembly is required and may require adult supervision. Podcasting since 2010. Episode 323, March 18th. Uh, Do I say 323 or 323? I think I I I say it the number. Also March 8th. Not the 18th. Yeah, uh, that was me stopping. <laughs> you, you were reading the 2018. You were, you were, uh, you were one word ahead. Yeah, it's, that was me thinking while I was reading. All right, uh, always a bad thing for me.